0: This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. I want to spend some time today talking about some trends that we've seen online and in the news on a near daily basis, which is this tendency for Christian nationalists to begin to openly embrace that label, something that was initially an epithet hurled at them by the mainstream media and as a way to distinguish between different elements of Christianity in America. It is something that now is just being blatantly and openly accepted by their proponents. What I'm going to say is really an adaptation of a couple of essays that I've written over at the Post-Evangelical Post. You can subscribe over at postevangelicalpost.com and also help directly support this show. Now, white evangelicals in America have been heavily scrutinized, and rightly so, since the 2016 election. Their widespread support of Trump and Trumpism escorted an unqualified megalomaniacal, corrupt, and amoral real estate magnate and self-styled reality TV star to the White House. Once Trump was ensconced there, white evangelicals en- enacted their long-standing longstanding sociopolitical agendas with alarming speed. The relationship was mutually beneficial. Trump knew that he owed his victory to white evangelicals, and white evangelicals knew that they owed their ability to, pr- to pursue their agenda to Trump's permissiveness. In response, people began speaking up. Online, there were hashtags like exvangelical, church2, empty the pews, deconstruction, expose Christian schools, leave loud, and others. In the press, journalists began exploring why white evangelicalism would support such a demagogue, to varying effect. In the broader book market, experts from various disciplines began interrogating white evangelicalism's foundations practices, and beliefs. Finally, the critical voices that have, been, that have been present in academia for decades became more prominent. Throughout this period, the favored status white evangelicals enjoyed within traditional media began to wane. While white evangelicals will claim that they have always been outsiders, and still are, that is categorically false. Evangelicals have long maintained access to traditional media, even during and after the Trump era. Some examples in 2017, Tim Keller published the essay, Can Evangelicalism Survive Donald Trump and Roy Moore? in The New Yorker, as a way to distance evangelicalism from its worst predilections, prejudices, and sins. Five years later, in 2022, David Brooks highlighted a number of so-called moderate evangelicals, including Keller, who are trying to change evangelicalism from within, in the pages of the New York Times. Inherent biases and a predisposition toward assuming good intent also leads to softer coverage of religion in general, even as the cruelty of white evangelical Christianity was on display on a near daily basis. Whether it was the relentless pace of sex and abuse scandals within conservative evangelical churches, the increasing hold of conspiratorial thinking via QAnon and evangelical pews, or participation in propagating the big lie about the 2020 election, somehow the religious angle can still be missed. There is a reticence among elected leaders to either publicly decry these harmful forms of Christianity or to do the requisite homework to understand how Christian nationalism and supremacy led to the legislative outcomes being achieved at such an increasing pace. It's easy to conflate white evangelicalism, Christian nationalism, and the modern GOP because they have so many points of overlap and intersection. But we should be able to do two things simultaneously. First, naming specific harmful religious practices like Christian nationalism while second, not vilifying or simplifying all other religious expression. What is deeply frustrating is the level to which much of this work has already been done. I, had it, I highlighted this earlier um, within the last week or so, both on TikTok and elsewhere. And what I highlighted in particular was the work of Julie Ingersoll, who quite literally wrote the book on Christian Reconstruction. Here's a quote from her book, building God's kingdom. Quote, Since the 1960s, conservative Christians have slowly and steadily built an institutionally integrated, mutually reinforcing, and self-sustaining subculture that exists alongside the world in which most of us live. The religious right may be one of the most visible manifestations of that subculture, but is not the full expression nor the most influential aspect of it. This subculture is often invisible but it is so pervasive that there are now adult Americans who are raised in Christian homeschooling families who believe that America is a Christian nation, that there is no separation of church and state implied in the constitution, that authoritarian patriarchy is the God ordained structure for families, that the functions of civil government are limited to providing for national defense and punishing crimes outlined in the Bible, that the Bible speaks to every aspect of life, And then we are all obligated to live under the law contained therein, law that is anchored in the literal six-day creation described in Genesis. Furthermore, this integrated worldview includes an ideological structure for identifying, explaining, and then dismissing any alternative ways of seeing things. End quote. This scholarship is of increasing importance, in the fall, I recorded season one of the Powers and Princip- Principalities podcast, which focused on white evangelicalism and Christian nationalism. My guests included Diana Butler-Bass, Catherine Stewart, Kristen cobus dumay Sam Perry, Andrew Whitehead, Julie Ingersoll, Sarah Posner, Robert Jones, Bradley Onishi, Anthea Butler, Jack Jenkins, Jeff Charlotte, Reza Aslan, and Chrissy Stroop. Following the May leak of the Dobbs decision, I wrote that these decades-long investments are paying dividends. You can couch and condition language however you like to make your critique precise, that this is the work of white Christian supremacists or Christian nationalists, that evangelicals, even white evangelicals, are no monolith, etc. But these ideas and these movements have found shelter within white evangelicalisms, plural, And those with political power are exacting their will on an unwilling public because they believe it is righteous and godly to do so. In response, we need to find ways to work together, especially those of us who have an in-depth understanding of how white evangelicalism and other high-demand religions approach politics and public life and begin to formulate responses. I wrote in May on Twitter at the same time, I don't care if terms like exvangelical evangelical fall to the wayside. What matters is that people who know how these groups operate, think, fund, legislate, and rule, all in the name of God, will continue to speak up in whatever way they are able to, to support one another and to imagine new futures. These things did not end with the defeat of Roe, and culture wars are not merely rhetorical have real consequences. I'm not prone to using metaphors that depend on conflict, especially something as loaded as culture war, but these conflicts are undeniable. We have belatedly reached a point where white evangelicalism is no longer the default representation of Christian in the media. We have also reached a far more precarious place, a place of Christian nationalist minority rule. And many of us are squabbling about whether or not these positions and decisions can be deemed Christian or not. As Chrissy Stroop has been emphasizing in her work, Christian does not immediately equal good. The goal of Christian nationalists and others is not to be good. Their goal is to dominate through politics, through religion, through governance, through violence. They are not coy about their goals. The sooner the greatest number of uh, people, Christian or ex-Christian, atheist or believer, spiritual or secular, or completely indifferent to labels, can begin to understand that and find common ground to work together to organize and re-secure rights and privileges for all people, the better. We are seeing these stories with alarming speed. Catherine Stewart, another prior Powers and Principalities guest, recently had an op-ed in the New York Times titled Christian Nationalists Are Excited About What Comes Next. She wrote that the Supreme Court's decision to rescind the reproductive rights that American women have enjoyed over the past half-century will not lead America's homegrown religious authoritarians to retire from the culture wars and enjoy a sweet moment of triumph. On the contrary, movement leaders are already preparing for a new and more brutal phase of their assault on individual rights and democratic self-governance. Breaking American democracy isn't an unintended side effect of Christian nationalism. It is the point of the project. Elsewhere at Motherboard on Vice, Tess Owen recently wrote about the rise of Christo-fascist content on TikTok. She writes, It's no accident that this community is expanding on TikTok, of all places, according to Thomas LeCac. I apologize if I mispronounced the last name. An associate professor of history at Grandview University in Iowa, who focuses on apocalyptic religion and political violence. He's quoted as saying, You build your audience with a young demographic, and then you spread your ideas that way. This is how you build the next generation of fascists. Rolling Stone also reported that Peggy Nienaber, a lobbyist who works for the Liberty Council, bragged about praying the Supreme Court justices. From that story, quote, at an evangelical victory party party in front of the Supreme Court to celebrate the downfl- downfall of Roe v. Wade last week, a prominent Capitol Hill religious leader was caught on a hot mic making a bombshell claim that she praised was sitting justices inside the High Court. We're the only people who do that, Peggy Knee Neighbor said. This disclosure was a serious matter on its own terms, but it also suggested a major conflict of interest. Knee Neighbor's ministries Umbrella organization, Liberty Council, frequently brings lawsuits before the Supreme Court. In fact, the conservative majority in Dobbs v. Jackson, which ended nearly 50 years of federal abortion rights, cited an amicus brief authored by Liberty Council in its ruling. In other words, sitting Supreme Court justices have prayed together with evangelical leaders whose bosses were bringing cases and arguments before the high court. What's important to note for those who do not have experience within evangelical culture is that while this was certainly a flub on the part of Neighbour, it was absolutely a point of pride, which is why she was bragging about it. Evangelicals love to court power and seek dominion, and that brings us back to another section of Catherine Stewart's recent op-ed, where she highlights the increasing appearance of Seven Mountains Dominionism, which was once a quietly held or French belief, but is now being mainstreamed. Stewart writes, The intensification of verbal warfare is connected to shifts in the Christian nationalist movement's messaging and outreach, which were very much in evidence at a recent Nashville conference. Seven Mountains Dominionism, the belief that biblical, quote, biblical Christians should seek to dominate the seven key mountains or molders of American society, including the government, was once considered a fringe doctrine, even among representatives of the religious right. At last year's Road to Majority Conference, however, there was a breakout session devoted to the topic. This year, there were two sessions, and the once arcane language of the Seven Mountains creed was on multiple speakers' lips. The hunger for dominion that appears to motivate the leadership of the movement is the essential context for making sense of its strategy and intentions in the post row world. The end of abortion rights is the beginning of a new and much more personal attack on individual rights. And indeed, it is personal. Much of the rhetoric on the right invokes visions of vigilante justice. This is about, quote, good guys with guns or neighbors with good eavesdropping skills heroically taking on the pernicious behavior of their fellow citizens. Among the principal battlefields will be the fallopian tubes and uteruses of women. Democrats, leftists, progressives, and activists need to read up on these trends. Christian nationalists are emboldened and they rightly perceive alongside many frustrated democratic voters and activists that the Biden administration is offering a weak response. To be clear, Christian nationalists want to dominate. And we have to re- meet this challenge. These are things that threaten the very way of American life and wants to instate a particular vision of America that is ahistorical and rooted in so many Toxic and harmful theologies and beliefs about their fellow Americans, about the makeup of Christianity, It it's, it's troubling. I've reached the end of my prepared comments, and I realize just how, how much it can really just befuddle and concern me that these manifestations of Christianity have such strength that they have been encouraged, that they have been emboldened and I hope that if you're listening to this you can uh, find some consolation in the fact that that you are among those that are trying to to learn and um, trying to think of new ways to combat this dangerous ideology, th- this dangerous theology that is puts the the lives of white male Americans at at the pinnacle. Um, And disregards the human rights of everyone else. So, please continue to think and imagine new futures that can combat this type of rising Christian nationalism. I mean, I'm all about naming it. And they are fine with claiming it. But that doesn't mean (laughs) that the conflict ends there. It just makes the stakes clear. One of the ways that Thank you for listening. If you want to support this show, you can um, by sharing it, rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you would like, you can subscribe to my newsletter, the Post Evangelical Post. It's also the most direct way to support this show. You can do so at 4 6 or $8 a month and receive ad-free podcast feeds. I donate 25% of net proceeds to two organizations that help um, populations that have been harmed by white evangelicalism. Those are white, white Homework that produces anti-racist educational content and the Religious Exemption Accountability Project, which is seeking a redress against Christian colleges that discriminate against LGBTQ students. You can reach me at contact at exvangelicalpodcast.com. And follow me on Twitter at Br Chastain and on Instagram and TikTok at Br Chastain underscore. All right everyone. Talk to you soon.